Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Uh, before we get into this one, just want to apologize for the long gap. Uh, I have those of you who follow kind of what I'm doing uh, know that I did a big expedition uh, across the Alaska Range, uh, the Alaska Range Traverse. I think we're calling it Under the Midnight Sun uh, with Dave Turner. Uh, it took 37 days to complete. Uh, I had to go on solo after Dave had to leave day 32, I believe because uh, he had some other commitments in Europe, and uh, let's face it, it was just going really slowly. So he had to bail. He had a bunch of other stuff he had to attend to. I continued on alone, got some fantastic weather, and ended up finishing it pretty quickly uh, with some good flights at the end. This podcast is not about Alaska. I just wanted to let you all know that uh, I'm back safely. Uh, thank you for the thank you for your patience and waiting for the next episode. Um, now back in Ketchum. Uh, after Alaska, zipped over to Europe, did some quick training with Ben and Bruce, my ex-Alps team, as we're planning on doing that next year. And I'm now home for the rest of the summer, so we're going to be able to be, uh, bang out some more of these podcasts. Uh, Rafael Saladini. Uh, I met Rafael this year down in Mexico at the Monarca. Uh, the guy is just full of brilliant light and energy. Uh, he has had an amazing year. Uh, it's not often you get to talk to somebody who's just won a PwC task out in Portugal, uh, as well as flown 500k this year with the boys down in Brazil. Um, we talk about his uh, chasing the world records. We talk about his world record back in 2007 uh, that broke Will Gads. Um, we talk about all kinds of things. Uh, his early career with a bunch of accidents, uh, leaving the sport for a long time, coming back to it, uh, having great mentors, and just how he has excelled. You guys are going to dig this. Uh, Raphael, I mean, it's amazing how poetic Raphael is in a second language. Uh, I've got to go visit him. i got to get in there with this guy. He's just super inspiring, wonderful human being. Um, so uh, I'll leave it at that. And without uh, giving you too much, enjoy this episode. And without further ado, Raphael Saladini. Rafael, we have been trying to get together since, uh, geez, since the Monarca in Mexico. It is so awesome. I have been so excited personally to talk to you about all the awesome things you've been doing lately. Thanks for coming on the Mayhem. I'm really excited to uh, sit down and have this chat with you, even though you're, uh, where, where are you in Brazil? Oh, I'm, uh, hi Gavin. It's a pleasure to be here uh, with you and with, with all this audience that, you know, loves paragliding also. Uh, I'm in Brazil right now in Rio de Janeiro, uh, in my hometown. So I just came by to to visit my family and my friends a bit before, you know, uh, jumping towards you know uh, the northeast of Brazil and try to to uh, not uh, to to build up another expedition. Maybe another world record is going to to be done this year. Let's see, huh? <laughs> Cool. Now, uh, well, actually, before we get into the world record and where you're going, and we're going to be talking a lot about that, um, you must that must be an exciting place to be right now with the Olympics uh, descending on you. What's what's Rio like right now? Rio now, uh, it's getting ready. Uh, there is a lot of pessimism uh, with with the event uh, because uh, I don't know what ha what happens in people's mind here, but uh, I'm not this kind of person. Uh, I, I, I'm really optimistic. Uh, as as people thought bad, bad had bad thoughts about the World Cup, about uh, many events we we've hosted here. Uh, at the end, everything is sorted out. Everything works, and uh, our government is struggling to to organize the security part. And uh, we're we're just getting ready, you know. And uh, as all the Brazilians, uh, we're just gonna be ready at at the last minute. But at the end, at the end of the event, I'm sure everybody's going to be happy, and and it's going to be a very nice atmosphere, and the Brazilian, you know, uh, way of life is going to be in this Olympics for sure. Yeah, you guys, uh, I, I do know this about the Brazilians. You guys know how to throw a good party. It's going to be a fantastic event, and hopefully, all these concerns that people have about security are just going to be, uh, you know, it'll just be overshadowed by the the glorious event that the Olympics is. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Pretty excited to watch it. Um, 
Rafael, so the two main things I really want to talk about is the world record last year, uh, an incredible team effort you guys put in with that, and then also your recent task win on the last day in Portugal. But um, I think, you know, a lot of our listeners probably don't know a ton about your history, and, and actually I don't as well. I was just uh, Googling you before the show, and, and there's there wasn't a whole lot of information. Well, a lot of the information was in Brazilian, so I couldn't read it. So I would love to just can you give us a kind of a synopsis on on uh, how you got into flying and the catalyst that 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 started you into flying and 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 kind of how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I when I was 14 years old, uh, my father uh, decided to to make a, a hang gliding course, and he I, I went with him to a school here uh, near Rio de Janeiro. But in the first day, he he quit. He he thought it was it was too dangerous for him. But at the end, I was at the end of the day, uh, I had already touched a uh, hang glide. I hang glide. I was really amazed with the sport, with the atmosphere, with with the pictures I saw. This was back, I think, in uh, 1996 or 1997. Uh, and then I, uh, the sport was in my head, and my cousin and a friend of mine, they started three years, four years later uh, paragliding, and I decided to follow them. I was uh, a minor. I had just 16 years old, so I could not actually start the sport because here in Brazil we have a law that you should just start when you are 18. Uh, even though I found an instructor that he, he, he decided to teach me, uh, and he and I just started like that. I had to to actually go to the takeoff here in Rio de Janeiro, which is really controlled by you know the federation. I had to go uh, in the trunk of the car. Uh, that's what that 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 that's uh, from where my my nickname comes from because all the Brazilians they call me Sardinha, which is sardine, the fish, because I used I I used to go up in the car in the trunk of the car like a sardine can, you know. That so people would say, ah, you look like a sardine inside this trunk because I'm big, I'm I'm tall, and and people you know decided to to call me like that, and it's a horrible nickname, but that's that's the way they call me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Then uh, uh, I I was really irresponsible. Uh, I was not. I was. I was trying to follow my cousin Rodrigo Monteiro because he he was already a PwC pilot, uh, a guy that was going already to try to break records in Northeast of Brazil. And I just grow up. I was I was grown up with him together. So as a cousin, as my my big my bigger cousin, I tried to follow follow him. And I suffered many, many accidents. I was like the type of the guy that I would take off and people would put their hands in their head and say, oh, my God, uh, it's him. You know, he just took off. Be aware of him, you know. Uh, mm. After uh, a couple of accidents, I finally could actually suffer uh, a, a big, a, a, a important accident that changed my life. Uh, I broke my hip. Uh, I broke my, my left foot and my right arm. Um, <laughs> I explode. I almost exploded like a tomato, you know, in a in a in a takeoff in the countryside of Brazil. So then I stopped. This was back in uh, this was October of 1999, and I stopped. I was really traumatized, and I came back just uh, in 2003 because my cousin and my friend they put pressure on me to start again, and I started. So, but I started uh, committing probably the same mistakes. I I suffered some little accidents also again, and I, I don't know what happened to me, but I think it was like a, a divine illumination, or I don't know what happened. I, I just uh, when when I, I I was like two years of flying, maybe 2005, everything clicked, you know, in my head. I stopped to do uh, to commit stupid mistakes. I stopped to think that uh, I could manage every situation. So uh, I, since then, I've never had any accidents flying. Just, I mean, uh, reserve, uh, parachute, reserve parachute, which is really, I mean, normal for a guy that it's flying competitions in high level and speeding full speed and having crevettes sometimes. So I had just one first actually reserve parachute in competitions. So uh, that's pretty much my story. Uh, I started again in 2003. Uh, with my cousin uh, as my mentor, and after him, I just switched 
my mentor to a really uh, 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 good instructors. Uh, after Rodrigo, uh, I jumped to Mar Marcelo Prieto, which is a guy that actually, I mean, the guy just broke the world record again. Uh, in, in that time, he had already broken 400Ks in Texas. Uh, act actually, in the same day, Will Gad broke the world record. He was there also flying. So the guy had a lot of experience. He taught me everything I, uh, 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 about big cross-country flying. And basically, I jumped from nice, nice mentor to nice mentors. You know, I, I just jumped from one to another, and that's why I could get a, a kind of shortcut to to develop myself really fast. Because uh, a guy that started in 2003 and break a world record in 2007, it's just like I don't know five, uh, four or five years, and and I I could just manage to do that because I had nice people in my surroundings. Uh, with good knowledge, with the will of sharing this knowledge, of actually adopting me as their uh, student, uh, as their, uh, you know, uh, uh, their, the, the guy that is supposed to replace them, the guy that is supposed to, to, to maintain their knowledge uh, alive. And after that, Frankie Brown also, and, uh, and another, uh, other uh, Brazilian good pilots here also, and when I started to compete back in 2006, 2005, uh, I was I was already surrounded by the best Brazilians in uh, in the sport, and I think this made a hell of a difference in my life because uh, I saw many guys that started in the same time as me, and they could not develop themselves because they they were not surrounded by the right people. And I think this is one of the most important things in this sport especially because it's a life risk sport you cannot you cannot commit big mistakes as i used to do and seeing and watching and observing the best ones you see how they behave what is important what is not important uh, uh, what you should do uh, uh, to to keep yourself safe to keep your head in the ground to to not being you know uh, how can I say uh, it, it, to, don't, don't fall in this mistake which is to, to it's an illusion that you are like a superman that you were better than you actually are so uh, basically I just kept my feet in the ground following the right people here in Brazil that's pretty much my story my beginning you know and after 2007 I, I was with, with the Brazilian team trying to break records in the Northeast and this made my whole story in the sport you know there's a lot of things there that was a really good history um, if, if you don't mind I'd love to go back uh, is you 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 hit on quite a few things that I, I get a lot of questions through the the podcast from pilots that want to know things like I because I, 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 I have a similar history in terms of the mentor thing I had I surrounded myself with guys who were just uh, so much better and they were just so giving of their time and uh, kind of like you, I think I was very aggressive in the beginning. Maybe I'm still aggressive, but I very aggressive and they would constantly try to kind of bring me back uh, to, you know, to have your feet on the ground and not have this Superman syndrome. Like you said, I, I really like that. How do you... How did you surround yourself with with uh, with those guys and and that kind of is that really a, a Brazilian thing? Because I, I agree with you. I think the mentor side. I mean, certainly talent is a big part of it. But and you have a lot of talent clearly. But you know, to go from probably those guys were seeing this kid that was having all these accidents and making really silly, stupid mistakes, and maybe oh, maybe we don't want to even teach him. He's a he's a firecracker. How did you kind of break? the end of that uh, going. I'd love to hear more about that transition, uh, both mentally, but also from the mentor side. How did you recover from those accidents mentally? Uh, for me, it was really hard because when I started to, to fly again in 2003, uh, I was really traumatized. I had a lot of fear. Uh, I still do actually when I'm speeding close to the, to the ground. I'm not the type of uh, pilot, even though I'm competing in a high level every time that I'm really uh, close to the mountain or close to the floor. I, I remember uh, my injuries, my situation over there, and I, I don't want to live there that anymore. So uh, that's really fresh in my mind still nowadays, 13 years after. Uh, my transition uh, uh, was not so easy uh, because... 
uh, nobody wanted to to have a bad student in their side, as you said. Uh, what I did, I, I just uh, decided to train and train and train. I was like, uh, by that time when I started again, I was like uh, 20, 19 years old, actually 21. And uh, and for me, I had plenty of time to train, so I started I, I started to to go to every single competition that I could. I went to to Mexico a couple of times with Frankie, and and I and I definitely followed the Brazilian league also a lot. And with my zero glider in that time, I used to fly a Sigma six, and uh, with the Sigma six, I started to actually uh, take nice decisions regarding navigation during the tasks, and then I would actually uh, be like a rising star in the zero class. And that, what th I think, that's pretty much what uh, g gave me these credentials to actually knock in the door of the good guys and say, "Hey, man, you see, I I'm I'm trying to learn. Uh, could you please uh, help me out?" And I think, of course, this is a, a Brazilian way also to to do when you, when you are you know among friends here. Uh, we really want to share things. And uh, Brazil is a country that is really amazing for cross country flying. Uh, with like US, for example, we do have big communities hidden in the middle of Brazil that nobody knows and uh, they don't compete. They just want to fly and have fun. Uh, they have this really familiar uh, environment. They bring kids and family to the takeoff and they really live the flying lifestyle and they don't care about competitions, about uh, titles, about anything. They, they just want to live the lifestyle, fly and have fun. And uh, there is this little city in Brazil called Araxá, which is in the same province of Governador Valadares, which is Minas Gerais. Uh, Araxá is a city that uh, you can you can fly uh, more than 100 k's in 360 degrees. They, they have flights of 200 k's, a flight of 300 k's. So it's really nice to fly during the spring. And you, we have a very nice community over there. And that's pretty much the place that gave me the credentials to to become uh, a good cross-country pilot because I, I I spent all my springs over there. Uh, I got to know the best pilots of the city. I'm actually the godfather of uh, a son of one of them, and uh, I would live there for three months every season. And that's where I I, I could meet and and straight and and and. And get my relationship with Marcelo Prieto uh, much closer. And Marcelo Prieto saw a potential on me, and uh, and he adopted me and brought me for the first time in 2006 to the northeast of Brazil as a student, uh, as a guy that, as a promise, as a, a potential to actually join the team he he was wanting to 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 form, you know to try the, the world record again. And that's pretty much from where I got this transition, you know, struggling, training, competing, learning, and, and, and actually not convincing, but showing my results to good guys that actually decided to adopt and share their knowledge with me, you know. Uh, that's pretty much what happened. Take me through some of that training. Um, when you look back... And you you were kind of adopted by a Marcelo, uh, and he was assembling this team, and and you know started to really work on on breaking the world record. Um, what what were some of the things when you look back? Were there kind of some aha moments? Were there some things that uh, in your own toolkit that really needed repairs? You know, some, some things that you were obviously doing wrong, or was it just simply a matter of uh, hours and flying more? Uh, the the thing of flying uh, in northeast of Brazil and these huge distances here in Brazil, because we we don't have the wind of South Africa, we don't have the window of uh, of Texas, we don't have Brazil is pretty much a place that you have twelve hours to fly, and by that time we were able to fly nine eight hours and, and 30 minutes. So pr that's the, 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 the jump of the cat. I'm not sure if you have this expression in, uh, in English, but the jump, the, the pretty much the thing that actually trigger the whole thing is, uh, is the teamwork. And, uh, 
when I was training cross-country flight with, uh, with Marcelo Prieto in, uh, in Arasha, he, he, he taught me the basic things of cross-country, uh, lines of disturbances, how to read clouds, how to use cloud streets, how to position yourself in, uh, in, during the flight, how to actually uh, read the forecast, to actually uh, know if it's a potential day or not. And that's pretty much the basic training he, he taught me. Uh, I, I cannot tell you what I was doing wrong because I was not doing it. Uh, I started to do with mm. them. So I, I just learned the right way to do it, you know, uh, uh, because I was not doing it before. I was a student. I was a guy that has flown maybe 70K, 90K. And my, the first time I broke 100K barrier, I was with them already, you know. So I was actually sucking this knowledge from them, you know, getting this knowledge from the, the best source we have here in Brazil. And this training of 2006 in northeast of Brazil, I think this for me was the trigger that triggered the whole thing in my life because actually I, he saw a potential on me to join this teamwork, you know, this, this thing to, for example, if we have like two, three pilots, uh, you don't need to talk in the radio. You don't need to communicate yourself with nobody. It's when we train together, it becomes like a flying organism. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't talk to, we don't say a word in the radio. Okay, let's go. Okay, to the right. Okay, to the left. No, no, we don't say nothing. Uh, we just fly, you know, together, and it's like a flying organism. It's automatic, and and this is a matter of training and training and training and training together. Not not alone. It's completely different than flying a gaggle in PwC, for example, or in a competition. Because when you're flying a gaggle, you're competing against everybody. You want to make sure you are in the best position. You want to make sure you're higher. You want to make sure you're faster. But to fly in a group, in a team, actually, it's not like flying in a gaggle. In a team, you have to to fly in the same pace of your fellows. If you have a better position, you have to use your position to help them uh, uh, going first, uh, showing the lines first. So you have to change the chip. You cannot fly uh, in our team in the same way we fly competitions, you know. And that's pretty much what I've learned back in 2006. That, that's what he teach me. Uh, he taught me uh, because I was committing some mistakes like using him and he would say, hey man, you're using me too much. You're not supposed to use me. You're supposed to help me. So if you're higher, go first, open wider, uh, fly f- 50K at most uh, s- sideways, you know. So use this advantage, these little advantages you have to help the team to fly faster. Because at the end of the day, that's going to make a hell of a difference. And are you guys spending quite a bit of time? So, you know, after a day that maybe doesn't work or there was a mistake or somebody bombs out, are you guys spending quite a bit of time, you know, discussing it and figuring out where you went wrong? And, um, or, yeah, and, in the air, you know, when I mean, to, to the to the wider world, that three people went the same distance and the world record is just so cool. That, I mean, the style of that is because it, you know, we're we're programmed as humans to be like in the PwC. At some point, you break away <laughs> and you do it on your own. I mean, to, for you guys to have that kind of diligence, is this something you really discuss, or is it really just part of the not the programming, but just I, I guess just the love for one another? Uh, Marcelo Prieto and Frankie Brown they flunked uh, competing against themselves for I don't know. Uh, since 1995 or 1996, something like that. Uh, and they just got fed up about uh, racing against each other, you know. Uh, the concept of flying together, uh, it, was bu- it was created, I mean, in, in, in our point of view here in Brazil for the Brazilians by uh, Marcelo Prieto and André Fleury. André Fleury is a very famous uh, tandem wor- world record breaker. The guy has, uh, I don't know, eight rec- world record of open distance in a tandem. And, uh, uh, and he's a guy that tried with Marcelo Prieto for many years to actually uh, uh, try to take off as early as 6.30, you know, 
to break this barrier of taking off at nine at eight thirty uh, and and wide widening or making our window more uh, longer. So now instead of taking off at eight thirty nine and flying until five thirty, we're actually taking off six thirty and flying until five thirty, which makes a hell of a difference in our in the whole concept of flying here. So they created this style of flying uh, together as a team, helping helping one another. However, uh, Andre Fleury, uh, he was more into tandem uh, uh, records, and Marcelo got a bit a bit uh, alone, and uh, and Frankie started to fly with uh, Sol paragliders uh, back in in two thousand and six and seven. So that's when they could join, you know, they could actually join forces because before that they were friends, but they could not join in the same team because uh, Marcelo would fly for, for, for Saul and Frankie would fly for Jen. So uh, uh, in, that, in that season, they, they joined forces and I was already with Marcelo uh, since the season before, since 2006, I was with Marcelo uh, training as a, as a team. And when we reached uh, the season of 2007, I went alone first uh, a couple of weeks before and I broke the, the South American record alone. And then Marcelo joined me over there in 2007, like two weeks later. And he broke my, my South American record. And then Frankie joined the team and we started to, to fly together and to, to actually build this concept among ourselves. Because it's not easy. You read the concept, oh, okay, let's fly together, let's help one another, let's do this, do, do that. But that's really easy to read and it's really hard to do it. Because uh, in, in many moments, I catch myself competing with my fellows. Like you said, it's automatic, it's our instinct. And that's not the right way to do it, you know. Uh, and Frankie, it's really, uh, it's, for, it's by far the most experienced Brazilian pilot. And he can change the chip really easily uh, to helping or to competing against. And he's really experienced. And me and Marcelo, we struggled more to actually change this chip. But at the end, we managed to, to do it. Because we've been flying so many times together and so many times alone also, and to fly alone in that immensity, uh, flying just by yourself uh, with no friends around, it's not the same atmosphere. When you, when you reach, uh, when, when you reach uh, uh, an objective, you reach a goal, and you have your friend beside you to share this experience, it's, it's completely different. It's, it's another atmosphere, it's another experience, you know. It's, it's, it's much more powerful because your memories is your, is your memories, you know, are your memories. When you can share this memory with someone, then it becomes stronger, you know. It becomes a, a story with two points of view, more enriched by details and that's what why we decided to actually make a movie also about that that we've done in 2007 also called Circulus and that's that's pretty much what happened you know that's pretty much why I say that to share this experience was the best decision we've made what I'd love to hear I, I, lo I love that Rafael and I couldn't agree more it's just so much special more special when you have the when it's not just your own camera and your mind, but everybody else's, is that when you land together, it's a, it's really what is so precious, I think, about this sport. Um, take me back. I, I think the wider world, and before we started the show, you and I were talking about, you know, that you guys are, have really looked around the world in terms of finding places to set the, the record in Texas and Australia and South Africa and Brazil. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that, but also I think the the wider world who haven't done these big uh, downwind uh, flatland flying, uh, you know, searching for these records, um, I think they underestimate uh, underestimate really how scary it could be. Um, it's not just flying over a desert. Uh, tell me about, you know, some of the kind of mental things you guys have to deal with, because as I understand it, I haven't flown Brazil, but as I understand it, you really have to do a lot of low flying over some pretty sketchy terrain. I remember when Nick Grease came back from Texas, because I always thought, you know, Texas, ah, it's, you know, that, like, 
in my own mind that these these flatland world records are really cool but i i didn't i didn't really appreciate i think how sketchy they can be i mean flying in wind is always a little bit sketchy but um certainly in the mountains it's really sketchy where i fly but uh you know when nick got back from their world record attempts a couple years ago with the ozone team you know he was talking about you know among other things a lot of people with guns but you know fences and cactus and uh you know places that you would really not want to put down a glider um and i think that that's similar from what i understand i mean i know that you guys are dealing with really windy launches but take me through some of that side of it i mean is it is it something you guys head into with a little bit of trepidation or is it just you've done it enough that it's it's just no big deal it's about finding the right day uh, the first thing uh, that I want to say is that we were really lucky to be Brazilians because uh, I've never flown in, in, in Australia, I've never flown in, in South Africa and in Texas. Marcelo and Frankie, they've, done, they've flown in Texas already and actually they say that Texas is pretty much probably the best place that the world record, if we get a magic day in Texas, then it's going to be unbeatable. Uh, However, when you compare Brazil, uh, the northeast of Brazil, even though uh, this is actually a kind of, uh, how can I say, uh, a tricky thing. Uh, 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 how, how can I say that? It's, uh, it's a thing. It's really interesting because Brazil is not a safe country regarding security. If you compare, if you compare it with South Africa, Australia and the States. Probably Brazil is the most dangerous countries uh, between these four, right? Uh, regarding violence. But in this case of flying, I should say that probably is one of the safest ones. Uh, because Brazil, uh, the northeast of Brazil, uh, you have paved roads all over. Uh, you have houses all over. You have really, really humble people living in these, those houses. They, they're willing to give you everything they have. They offer you food. They offer you everything they have uh, to make your, your life more comfortable. Uh, they, they, they're really sympathetic with the sport because we're like you know angels that fall in, the, in their reality. And they, they, they got really amazed of what we do. And they ask questions. They, they they really change the how do you say imaginary world or the, the, their head. You know, we really insert some new new realities and concepts and dreams in their in their heads. You know, when we 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 compare Brazil uh, with Texas, for example, uh, what 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 Marcelo and Frankie told me is that even though Texas is the best place, that's probably is going to be the, the the final world record is going to be there you know like probably we can fly right now 600k's in Texas if we get the magic day uh, even though it's the best place you do have to deal with uh, more uh, like closed farms you know fences that you cannot go with the car to retrieve the guy uh, huge uh, huge areas that you cannot you cannot land over there uh, farms that are locked and uh, and the border with Mexico deal with the police. Uh, I just saw that Johnny Duran had the, this problem this time, uh, attempting a world record over there. He was, you know, conducted by policemen out of the place he landed. Uh, and then if you compare this with South Africa, also for sure, because South Africa, it's more wild the flying over there. It's it's higher. You take off from fifteen hundred. Uh, you have more wind. Uh, it's it, it, you have more wind when you're landing, uh, and in Australia probably say it's safe like Brazil, but you, it's not so inhabited. You know, uh, you don't have that many houses. Northeast of Brazil, you have a house every twenty, thirty k. So uh, you never die there because of hunger, because of lack of thirst, uh, because of being lost and not finding a way out you know this this is impossible to happen in northeast of brazil you know because you have paved national roads everywhere you have houses you have food you have water in their houses so uh i i should i should say that you should try to fly uh in in quixada once or tacima to see how it's much easier than these myths that people talk about and people like to to scare the others away, you know. Uh, I should I should tell you that, that, that 
it's it's much it's you're gonna fly in Kishadai and say uh, is is this what people were, were trying to, to 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 say that it's scary? I mean, you've been in in the Alaskan Traverse right now. You just came back. I mean, when you compare the Alaskan Traverse, I mean, uh, uh, northeast of Brazil is a kind of it's almost like right, a right. Region, you know? <laughs> it's not not, a, not exactly the same. <laughs> Thousands <laughs> thousands of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ra- Raphael, I, I, I do I, at some point here, I, I'd love to transition to the PwC and your, your task win in, in Portugal. But before we before we do, can you take me back to that December day last year? Because you have been uh, very Brazilian and in, in a, you've, you've said, uh, you know, you were just so happy for your friends. But on the on the 513 day uh, and we'll talk about your other day, too, but the 513 day you bombed out really early. Uh, take me th- take me through that day. Yeah, uh, uh, we were in an expedition uh, for uh, one month. OK, we started to fly on October 5th and uh, and the world record was broken in October 9th. Uh, every day until October 9th. In October 5th, uh, Frankie bumped out. October 7th, Marcelo bumped out. October 8th, 8th uh, Donizete bumped out. And in October 9th, it was my turn to bump out. Oh, man. Oh, man. What a day to bomb out. But I, I tell you that for me, it was, was the best thing that could happen to me because, uh, I mean... Uh, to break a world record, it's I think it's a, 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 a resume of of your life. You know, uh, life life is not easy. You know, uh, I stopped paragliding uh, from 2008 until 2014, and I just came back. You know, these guys they've been struggling going to northeast of Brazil every year, fo- really focused on the world record. They could not manage to to get a nice year. It would be really easy, and 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 I would be really spoiled if if I was in the team breaking the record again. And uh, uh, the bottom line is that uh, I, I I did not str- I was I was not struggling enough to be in the team this year. And if you consider this organism, this flying organism that I was talking about, of this this uh, connection that we have bet- between ourselves. This year, I was not connected to them because in 2007, I tell you, I was really connected to Marcelo Prieto and Frankie Brown. We were like a flying organism, flying perfectly, fast, one helping another, no talking in the radio, really, 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 uh, uh, how can I say, uh, uh, together, flying together as one organism. This year, 2015, last year, I wasn't a part of the team. I was invited by them because I'm a former world record with them. I'm a a member of the team. But in this case, you cannot enforce someone. You you cannot uh, put someone inside the team and say, come on, now this guy is a part of the team. Okay, he can be a part of the team in the theory. But when you go to the practical uh, side, then uh, if you're not working with them, uh, if you're using the team, if you're not helping the team, you're going to be left behind, not because they want, but that's because that's because that's the way the organism behaves, you know. Uh, in a certain moment, I was just chasing them. Uh, in, in, in the October 9th, I bumped out really early in the morning, so I, I did not have plenty of time to fly with them and checked and realized that I was not prepared. But... When we tried again in uh, November 3rd, I think, that I could fly 500 and they re- uh, Marcelo and Donizetti repeated 513, uh, I realized that in, uh, I was not, uh, uh, you know, uh, I was not a part of the team that year. I was just using them. I'm more, I was pretty much more like a parasite than a part of the team because I was every time flying behind trying to catch them, you know, and that's why when we reached 300 Ks, I decided I'm I'm over with that. I'm not following them to the 500. I'm just gonna make the rest of my flight alone. So then I'm gonna fly. I'm I'm, I'm gonna land uh, much happier than just follow my my fellows the rest of the day. You know. So for me, it was really hard to realize that, but I think that's the part of life. 
uh, I think we learn much more from our losses, from our disappointments, from our uh, frustrations than just having good results, titles, and everything comes easier, you know, easy and soft to our lives. And I think for me it was the best thing because I realized that, okay, I am a good pilot, but uh, a world record is a world record and you got to struggle, you, you need to deserve it. And in 2015, I did not deserve it. This year, 2016, if we break it again, then I, 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 I can come back here and tell you, hey, Gavin, this year I really deserve it because I trained with my fellows. I was flying already for, for so many competitions, preparing myself for that. But in 2015, definitely I was out of the team. Tell me about this period then between 2008 and 2014. I didn't know about that. What was, uh, what was going on there? Uh, I was, it was the call of duty, you know, it, it was two things. First, because I was really bored. Uh, I broke a world record. I was flying really nicely, but at the end I was flying so many hours every year that I was flying with bad humor. I would catch a thermal and start complaining that uh, thermal was not uh, perfect. Uh, it was not five meters per second. It was just two meters per second. And all my happiness was going towards paragliding. Uh, if, I, if I would go uh, well in a competition, I was really happy. If I, if I would go uh, bad in a competition, I would be depressed. So I was pretty much like a bipolar person following my results in the sport. And besides, besides that, I have my family. My family has businesses, and uh, they were really needing me to, to come back from this parallel universe that I put myself on. So uh, I decided to, to help them, and uh, I just came back to my family business also to help them. And uh, these two, uh, these, were, these probably are the two main purposes. I, I just quit the sport for a while. And now I came back with another head, more mature, uh, putting paragliding exactly in the position that it should be. Uh, it's not my entire life anymore. It's just a part of it. So I, I, I'm pretty much thinking like a financial market uh, guy. You know, I'm just diversifying my happiness right now. You know, I have a family. I'm trying to have a kid now. I have my, my work and I have paragliding also. How do you then maintain the passion for something like a world record, given all that? Um, I, I think that having the passion of free flight, uh, you know, when we first learn, is just automatic. You know, like every sledder, every time we go off the hill, just the absurdity of it all is, is so overwhelming that it's just, you can't get enough. Um, you know, after a lot of hours and a lot of comps, and, you know, it's uh, it can be pretty hard for people to maintain that kind of passion, especially when you're chasing, like, a world record, just the hours and the retrieves and the dedication. Like, I know when Will Gadd went through all that back in the early 2000s, chasing his world records, it's just a massive amount of time uh, and energy that you have to, to commit to that. So, how do you how do you maintain that passion, and are you as passionate now as you were um, back in the day? In two thousand and seven, uh, we, we could not. I could not even think about that because uh, first we were just thinking about breaking the South American record, and after I broke it, uh, because a Portuguese guy held the the South American record, it's, it was three eighty, and in the first flight I did three ninety eight. So then Marcelo did four hundred and fourteen, and when Marcelo did four hundred fourteen in Brazil, then we thought, ooh to 423 will get world record it's just uh, uh, 9k's you know so maybe it's possible and that's when we started to dream about it and this dream just lasts probably for 3 weeks because then we managed to break it so uh, it, it, uh, we, we, ha we had a lot of uh, how can I say uh, uh, people were people re were really skeptical with the potential of Brazil to, to be the place to break, to break world record. And we've changed that in 2007. Uh, nowadays, for me, uh, it's a hell of an experience still because it's not a matter just, just of reaching the mark, you know. It's the whole journey. Uh, that's what I just told you uh, when I was talking about deserving or not the world record last year. The whole journey is the most important thing, you know. To be with your friends, struggling, 
to be in that environment in Brazilian drylands with that people, that humble people, uh, uh, learning so many teachings from them, how to be happy with simple things, how to to live with such such a few uh, resources. Uh, uh, the whole atmosphere of this journey of trying the world record that enchants me, you know, that's that's where I really feel alive, you know, uh, that's where I really feel interesting about paragliding, because competitions is really nice, but I, I I I really should tell you that I just go to competitions to evolve myself as a pilot, to learn how to fly faster, to learn how to handle my glider better, but at the end, what drives me in the sport, it's pretty much this uh, world record breaking attempts because that's where I feel alive, you know, that's, that's, that's where, that's what I, 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 I like it from the sport, you know, like you did, the Alaskan Traverse for me, it's much more interesting than going to a PwC or to a Brazilian Nationals or to, uh, for the rat race or anywhere else, you know, these adventurous things, this uh, breaking barriers, breaking the limits, uh, expanding our sports limits. That's what drives me. You know, that's what makes me uh, happy about our sport. So, how do we transition from that kind of intensity and in chasing world records um, to just enjoying free flight? You know, as you get older, uh, if, if you keep pressing like that, you know, the inevitable is. Uh, that you're going to probably get hurt or, uh, you know, you just don't have the re reaction time and the skills and the eyesight. So have you thought about that? And I know you're, you're a lot younger than I am, but, uh, how do you transition from kind of where you are? How do you see, um, your career moving forward? And then also maybe separate question. I'd love to ask you about your best flight. You know, is it the 500 you got, uh, after the world record went down, um, or is it another one? Yeah, uh, I, I have just 33 years old right now. Uh, I'm, I'm the youngest one. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the youngest one from my team. Uh, I see Frankie with 46. He, he broke the record last year with 46 or 48, I'm not sure. Uh, Marcelo, they, he, he's got 38, and the other guys, they have more than 40, so... Uh, I see a big horizon in front of me uh, regarding paragliding, but uh, I'm not the type of person that is going to be doing paragliding for the rest of my life in this level, you know. Uh, I really foresee in the future doing tandems with my wife, with my kids, having fun with it because I love to fly. I love to, to be in the flying environment. I love the friends I've made. Uh, I love the knowledge I, I've learned from the sport. I, I started to, to observe the world in a different way. And I think it's pretty much what, what, what I find so interesting about paragliding. It's not like uh, swimming or cycling, you know, it's, which are amazing sports, but uh, they don't teach you how to observe the world in a different way, you know. They don't teach you uh, chemistry, physics, biology, uh, you know. It's, it's an amazing sport. So I've foreseen a very nice future, for sure not competing. Uh, I'm jumping out to sailplanes also. I'm starting to fly sailplanes, so I, I'm not sure if I'm going to jump completely to sailplanes as I did with paragliding, but I'm sure I'm going to be flying both of them, you know. <laughs> and so tell me about your best flight when you look back at your career uh was it the longest or was it was it something else my best flight for sure it's my 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 world record because uh uh i i really dreamed about it i it was a big pursuit uh, i mean it was an objective we had it was a uh a uh, a barrier that Brazil, my, my country had to, to break also because Brazil was known as a consistent flying country, a country that you could take off from a foot launch uh, and fly really far away. But it, it was not a country that would held a world record. And for me, breaking this barrier with my friends, uh, landing exactly in the same soccer field like we've done, and sharing that energy, that vibe, that 
you know, it was it, it was really powerful for me. So uh, in my 500 flight, I, I went further. Uh, probably I don't know. I, I must be like the fifth or the sixth. I, I don't know the person to reach 500 k's. But at the end, I was alone in the middle of nowhere, uh, waiting for my retrieve, just with my camera. I didn't have no one to share this experience, and that's pretty much what I love now to fly with my friends. If you if you tell me, uh, Rafael, uh, do you want to break the record again alone? I should tell you. Uh, if, if I fly at least 80% of the flight with my friends, that's fine. But if I have to do all the, all, all the way alone, probably I would say that I'm going to get bored before and land, for, and land before, you know. Rafael, let's talk about uh, PWCs a little bit. Uh, I think I have a similar approach to you uh, when it comes to PWCs. I use them as tools to become a better pilot. Don't get too wrapped up in the results. Um, I think that can be kind of dangerous, but it sure is awfully fun to do well. And you just did incredibly well at the PwC in Portugal. You won the last task. I'd love to just hear about that. Take me through uh, what that was like. I bet that was pretty incredible. Yeah, for me, uh, when I, I I broke the record back in 2007, I became a, a, a very good cross-country pilot. But I but but I was never a good competition pilot. I was never consistent. Uh, I would go well in one day, bumped out another. So this came back that I did since 2014. I came back more mature, observing this consistency, uh, being aware that I should be more consistent. And for me, uh, winning two PwC tasks, one in Baixo Guandu in Brazil and the second one now in Portugal, for me was really important for my uh, self-esteem, for my, uh, my confidence also, to, to know that I'm really able to fly well competitions also. And and I was really consistent now in Portugal. Uh, in the first task, I bumped out. But then the second task, I was second. The third task, I was second also. And in the last and fourth task, I was first. So if the second task had uh, valued uh, a thousand points, which 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 it was not the case. It just it was just three hundred points valid. Uh, probably I would be in the podium. But for me. Inside, I know that I've flown really consistent, and for me, it was really amazed how I changed as a pilot to a more mature, more more conscious pilot that, that than I used to be. So uh, for me, it's with uh, PwC, uh, I don't care that much for the result, but for me, uh, to have a nice result, it's it's really important, you know, to to pursue more objectives in my life in the sport, you know. Rafael, what I'd love to hear about is, um, you know, maturity and how you've learned to, you know, I think, you know, many pilots can maybe go out and, uh, you know, crush one day, just kind of throw risk out the window, press a lot of bar, lead out. Um, but it's pretty hard to be consistent, uh, you know, day after day, you know, a couple of top threes, uh, and, and a win and a task, uh, at a PwC is really hard to do. Uh, very impressive. Um, can you kind of just take me through, uh, I imagine there's a lot of maturity and a lot of hours that's involved in that, but can you just take me through kind of your headspace going into a PwC these days and, and um, yeah, tell me how you're pulling that off. What I realized is that uh, observing my, my, my friends, you know, people that I admire, uh, is that you don't need to to sh- to prove nothing to no one, you know, uh, you don't need to, to go in front all the time. You need to breathe sometimes. Uh, back in 2007, I was really mature. I thought that I had to prove that I was able to lead, and I, I was just risking and risking and risking. And in a cert- certain point, something goes wrong, and then I lose the whole task. Uh, even though in Portugal I flown really aggressive, uh, in many times in the Tabic, because Portugal is is it's not mountains. Because when I'm in, like in the Alps or in the in the Rocky Mountains, in the States, when I, I I'm really deep in my into mountains, I'm not a good pilot. I, I I'm really scared. Uh, I prefer to fly flatlands. That's my style. That's from where I come from. That's where my my skills are made for. Uh, so Portugal, it's it has some similarities with Brazil. So I was feeling really comfortable over there. I was not feeling threatened by the by the environment. I was feeling really comfortable with the turbulence and all that. 
And for me, uh, uh, even though I was aggressive, flying really consistent and in, in with the first gaggle, and sometimes risking alone in front, in many, many moments, I, I, I stopped. After leading a while, I stopped. I let people go in front of me. I say, come on, now I have an enough leading points. Let's just thermal. Let's just uh, get high, follow now uh, another person. Let's use now the gaggle. Let's, let's breathe, you know. Otherwise, you get tired. You lose your concentration. And it's, it's pretty much, it's, for me, it's pretty arrogant also to think that you're going to be able to, to lead a, a whole task of 100Ks in front of, you know, the best pilots in the world. I think you need to share this responsibility because no, there is no perfect pilot. And I think... Uh, it's just a matter of understanding that and 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 actually Cody Mitang was a guy that uh, inspired me in the last few years because I met him in a, in in in, a, in the in 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 the super final in Mexico and I saw how he was flying he went to Castello I saw how concentrated and consistent he was so for me some guys like Frankie Brown like Andreas Malecki you know like uh, uh, Thorsten Siegel, uh, like uh, Jean-Marc Cajon, like uh, 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 Charles Cazot. These guys, they really inspire me, you know, because I saw the consistency on them. And I saw them, I observed them, and I see that they're not uh, kids. They fly not to prove anyone to nobody. They fly to win. And that's what I'm trying to do now. Even though I don't care that much, but I'm trying to do it. Because just trying, I think I'm going to become a better pilot. Rafael, it sounds to me like there's actually a lot of crossover between the kind of team flying you guys are doing in Brazil, you know, when you're in the air for 10, 11, 12 hours where you're really letting whoever has the most energy push a little bit more, but you're kind of allowing the gaggle to do the work. Um, which is a real key component of doing well in PWCs. It sounds like there's, you know, there's 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 quite a bit of crossover there. The strategies actually sound obviously PWCs are much shorter tasks, uh, a lot more bar. You're racing really fast, but um, do you see a lot of crossover between these kind of two, uh, in some ways, very different elements? But also the approach sounds pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that. That's actually the thing I, I, I have to learn right now to to do it better, to use the gaggle uh, and to risk less myself. That's what I'm trying to learn now. Uh, when we fly together uh, as a team, trying to bre- break the record, uh, it's like uh, a, a band of birds. You know, uh, we 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 share the we share the leadership uh, every thermal. Uh, one time, a, a person that, that it's really fit and not tired goes in front. The others spread to the sides, but a bit, a bit, a bit in the back. And then you just uh, make a, a, a how can I, a transition of, of leadership, and it, we just exchange leadership the whole day, so nobody gets too much tired, you know. And that's that's pretty much what the best uh, competition pilots they do. However, with this new formula now, if you don't actually lead for for a cup of, uh, especially in the first third of the task, uh, then if you arrive with the gaggle in goal, you're, you're going to lose uh, precious li- uh, leading points. So this formula, this new formula now is actually pushing people to lead a bit, uh, to actually make the, 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 the whole gaggle more aggressive. And I think that this is pretty much this, this, this is pretty good because people are not just holding and waiting to see what the others are doing. They they're actually trying to lead, trying to be aggressive, and trying to win the task with this strategy of leading a bit and then fly with the gaggle, not just fly with the gaggle. And I think this is really important, and it's an evolution in our sport, you know. Rafael, I have to say, uh, for someone who speaks English as their second language, you are quite the poet. Uh, how you talk about paragliding is really mesmerizing. I hate to cut us off as I've barely even touched on a lot of the questions I had for you, um, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. We're nearing an hour here, 
And uh, I just, I, I've been doing this Proust questionnaire for a, a lot of the uh, people coming on the show, and I haven't the last few times, but I, I went to uh, a talk the other night by Salman Rushdie, the author of the Satanic Verses, and, and he talks about the Proust questionnaire. So I'd love to fire you off uh, some questions from that, if that's okay. And uh, maybe we can get you on for, if people really enjoy the show, which I know they will, we'll try to do uh, a second one of these at some point. So I'll just uh, take you through this real quick. Uh, what is your favorite word? Word, love. Nice. And uh, what is your least favorite word? Hate. And what turns you on and what turns you off? What turns me on is uh, discoveries, uh, limits. Uh, what turns me off is uh, big cities. <laughs> uh, yes, you and I have that in common. Uh, what sound do you love and what sound do you hate? I, I love the noise of nothing. I, I love the silence. You know, I love to be meditating when I'm flying. You know, that's that's why I love huge cross-country flights because I'm silent. I'm silent the whole flight. Uh, and the noise I hate the most are traffic jam. You know, horns, cars, and mess. This mess that we've been driven to. Yes, uh, humanity. There was uh, very little of that on the expedition in Alaska. I have to say that was one of the most precious parts about that whole journey, uh, for sure. What profession, other than your own, uh, would you most like to do? And actually, I should ask you what your profession is. Are you a professional paraglider or, or uh, something else? No, uh, I graduated in business administration. Uh, I'm pretty much for the financial part. So right now I'm just in the financial market, uh, uh, administrating my 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 family's uh, stake, and uh, I'm 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 into the real estate market also. But as an investor, I'm not an engineer, but I build houses and little uh, little buildings. Also, that's what I do now. Ah, okay. So uh, going back to the question then from the the questionnaire, uh, what? What uh, profession other than real estate or finance would you most like to do? Oof, I would like to be a product designer. <laughs> or or uh, uh, a film director because uh, I did one movie uh, that, that's called Cyclus. Uh, the, the, the quality of the images are not so nice because it was actually in the transition of technology for GoPro and all that, but it was in the... Uh, uh, we won a prize in uh, in Saint Hilaire de Touvet uh, in 2010, I think, or 2011. I'm not I'm not sure which year it was, but uh, now I'm doing another movie, The Cyclus Two, about the world record of my guys, of my of my friends, you know. So uh, I I really have this little feet, this, this little foot on the on film uh, making, but nothing too serious, just you know. Uh, my own movies really it's not it's not amateur but people like it but it's not professional you know it's not like the red bull ones you've done you know <laughs> right right yeah of course uh you know i've I've certainly been at both end of the that spectrum and the production editing end of things and it is a lot of work it's really creative and fun but i'm quite enjoying just being the guy that they tell you <laughs> go do this go fly and uh let them do all the work yeah absolutely so what profession would you not like to do oof I would not. I would not like to be a, a, a president of a country, you know, because I, I don't like. I don't like to have enemies, uh, so I don't like the uh, powerful positions. <laughs> yeah, and Brazil has been uh, quite tumultuous uh, lately politically, as of course we have as well. But yeah, geez, what a what a miserable job. Exactly. So I would hate to be a politician, you know. <laughs> yeah. God. No kidding. Um, so, last one. If God does exist, uh, what would you want him to say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Wow. <laughs> uh, I would like to hear that, uh, that if it's true that I've done a good work to make my world better before departing from it, you know, because that's what I, I try to help people and try to make the world better than than w w with my attitude with my 
to, to, to deliver a world better than I, I was brought into. That's what I, I want to hear. That's what I, I want to hear, you know, because that's what's going to make my, my existence more fulfilled. Ah, very well said, my friend. Very well said. Rafael, thank you so much. That was a real treat. Uh, you and I have got to spend some more time together. I've never flown in Brazil, so that's uh, that's got to be the next move. I got to get in the sky with you. Uh, thank you for answering these questions so honestly and um, poetically. You're a, you're a great human being. I, was, I feel really uh, fortunate to have spent this this time with you. Uh, I've done a lot of sailing on the coast of Brazil, but I've never been up there in the air, so uh got to get down your way. But thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, and uh, fly far, be safe, and uh, go big, buddy. Uh, thank, you, thank you for the invitation, and, and I, I would like to invite you one day to come here to fly with us and to get to know this and lose this, Brazil, this, this myth uh, that it's really sketchy and, and i mean to fly here big distances is going to be amazing and you're going to enjoy and you're going to find really easy and really uh, uh really friendly you know so uh feel free to come around and to fly with us and i hope i meet you soon uh thanks for the invitation man it's it's beautiful this work you do sharing the knowledge of everybody every good all the good pilots in the world with everybody you know Thanks for doing that. You're making the world better. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Rafael. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, buddy, we'll see you on the flip side. Cheers. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, man, I hope you enjoyed that. What a treat that was to sit down with Rob for an hour. I've been trying to tie up with him for many months since I met him at the Monarca uh, this January. Knew he'd be great on the show. Man, so many strategies and tricks and uh, chasing world records and flying on the PwC. There's a lot there. If you're just discovering the podcast, really invite you to go back and check out some of the previous uh, episodes some really great stuff uh some fantastic stuff on risk from jeff shapiro great stuff on gliding from matt beachner uh, if you want to just laugh hysterically check out nick greases or nate scales uh interviewed a bunch of the x-alps guys acker guys uh, there's some real real nuggets there just thrilled that i keep getting so much feedback that people are really enjoying this uh really enjoying it on my end as well thank you so much for your donations as always all we ask for is a buck a show uh it goes a long ways to making this more and more professional upgrading the gear and i will keep doing it like i said i'm just thrilled to be doing it it's uh, i think it's a great way to get out knowledge uh we've got isabella messenger coming up kari castle so we've got some great shows coming up for you soon uh, again at top of the show apologize for the delay uh in the last couple months and not getting one of these out i was tied up crossing the alaska range with uh dave turner the footage from that, what little I've seen, is absolutely mind-blowing. Pretty hard. You can't even really compare this one whatsoever to the Rockies Traverse. Same team with Real Water Productions. Uh, it was a Red Bull production. But just, man, we, we suffered and we flew and saw some just truly amazing things. And I'm really excited to uh, get this movie out. Those guys are banging away up in Squamish on the edit, hoping to get the world premiere ready for Banff this November. If you haven't been to Banff for the film festival, I highly recommend you do. This is a much better thing than the world tour because all the all the world tour films get all cut down. If you want to see them in their all their glory, uh, go to the Banff Film Festival the first week in November. It's a really they just put on an amazing festival. Love to see you up there. Yeah, that's about all I got for you. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Fly far. Be safe. Have fun. Cheers. <laughs>